Well, good morning, <clears throat> each of you, and bring you greetings from Waterworks Congregation. And I will say it's always good to come back to Myerstown and worship with you all. Um, we don't get here very often, so it's good to see familiar faces. It's good to be here. So this morning, I would like to begin with a story, and it's the story of the Pied Piper. You might have heard it before. Story, legend. The year is 1284, and it's in the town of Hamlin, Germany. And this town had hired a piper to rid the town of some rats. They had a rat infestation. They got to get rid of these rats. So they, they hire this piper, uh, a flute player of some kind, to do the job. And he did this by playing his flute or his pipe. And turns out the town refused to pay him. And he, he didn't get uh, what they agreed to pay. And this piper was furious. And he left in a rage. And as he left, he vowed vengeance. And sometime later, he returned. And when he came back, it was a holiday. And it so happened that all the adults were in church because of the holiday. And he came back in town, and he starts playing his flute throughout the streets. And he again gets a following. Instead of rats, it's the children of the town. Children weren't in church, and his children start following this piper as he's playing through the streets. And he leads the, these children outside of town up over the hill, and, and they were never seen again. So that's the story. What's true and what's legend, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's the story that's given. I'm pretty sure there was some embellishment given along the way. It's a pretty old story. But the Pied Piper has become a metaphor for something or someone that uses charisma or false promises to make something look really good and, and to, to gain a following. And, and even more generally, somebody who makes something look really good when in reality it's actually harmful or dangerous. So people use that as, as a metaphor, a comparison sometimes. So where am I going with this? I'd like to look at a topic this morning that I had thought about for a while. And I just didn't, I always felt like I didn't know quite enough about it. I couldn't uh, speak, um, I can't do it justice, basically. It, it's uh, too far beyond what I can do. And then as I thought about it more, I realized I'm, I'm never going to be there. It's always going to be more to study, more to learn, more unknown, deeper questions. And I figured, you know what, let's, let's just... Uh, I'll just do it. So this morning, the area that I want to look at is technology. And part of the hesitation I had is I just didn't know how to frame it. What, what is the point? What, what would my point be? What, what do I try to communicate about technology? Is technology all bad? We should just stay away from it? Well, no, that's, I, I can't say that. And maybe it's moderation or discipline. 
And as I was thinking about this, I, I zeroed in on something that I believe this story of the Pied Piper brings out. The Pied Piper lured those children away with beautiful music, something that sounded really good. But all the while, there was something else taking place that if those children would have known, they wouldn't have followed. And I believe in the same way as we look at all these questions of technology today, and there's so many questions that come up. What about this? What about that? I think there's all kinds of appeal and allure to get the latest and greatest. But there's also a side that's not as readily apparent, and it's not in the advertisements, and it can be easy to miss if we're not paying attention. And I'm not saying that we're all marching to our death like the Pied Piper, but I think there are times when we would make a different decision if we would know everything from the start. So that's the approach that I have in mind as, as I think about this, this topic. And before I start, I do want to give a definition of technology. It's, it's a very broad term. What, do you, what is technology? Um, it, it can mean anything new, something that lets you do things that you couldn't before. And we have it in, in all kinds of different areas of, of uh, trades, you know, floor covering. There's technology in floor covering. And, uh, you know, farming is the, the latest thing that you can do something you couldn't do before. It's, it's very broad. But when I say technology, I, I'm not referring to the, the broad sense, but more specifically, um, the devices that we use, the things that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Probably our phones, primarily. Computers, maybe the applications that are on our devices. The internet. And that's, that's what I have in mind uh, as, as we look at this subject. There's different passages that you could look at. I was thinking about what passage do I go to. Thinking about this, I thought about 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. You know, there's, there's some things that just aren't helpful. Even though that they might be lawful, they're, they're not helpful. Or you could go to Hebrews 12, 1, where it talks about laying aside every weight and every sin. And we look, obviously, the sin we need to get rid of, but the weights as well, something that's holding us back. I think you could apply that as well. Or 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul talks about running the race and compares Christian life to, to running and striving to win. And he says he disciplines his body. Are we exercising discipline? And I think each one of these could be used, thinking about this, this topic. But uh, the passage that I want to look at um, is, is Ephesians 5. Uh, thinking of a little bit different, uh, different approach to it. And you can turn with me to Ephesians 5. I'll read verses 1 through 17. The main focus I want to look at is verses 15 through 17. But I think the context is helpful. So we think about what leads up to these verses here. And, and I'll reference some of the beginning of the chapter as well. So Ephesians 5, let's read um, Ephesians 5, starting verse 1. 
Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I think I'll stop there. So what is Paul saying here in Ephesians 5? And I like to think of Ephesians as basically split into two different parts. So chapters 1 through 3, he's talking about theology and doctrine, how things work. This is who you are in Christ, and this is how you are saved and it's the mechanics, it's the theology, chapters one through three. And then chapters four through six are more practical. And this is where we get the, the real life applications and the, the nuggets that we like to pull out. And uh, that's, that's chapters four through six. So the first part, he's saying, you are Christians, you have been saved. And then the last part, he's saying, now act like it and live it out, let it be lived and chapter 5 is part of that application section and we see verse 1 he starts off with a call to follow God be followers of God and I like the way the New King James puts it uh, imitators be imitators of God just like children imitate their parents we imitate our Heavenly Father and we walk in love because Christ loved us. And there's things that we put away, looking at verses three and four, a list of things that are the works of darkness. We put those aside, have no fellowship with those. That's, that's works of darkness. We, we don't walk in the darkness, but we, we walk in the light. And he mentions that those who do such things incur the wrath of God. That's verse 6. 
Because of those things comes the wrath of God on the children of disobedience. It's, it's a call to remove yourself from any association with, with those uh, deeds, works of darkness. That's not who we are. We're children of light. We had that referenced in our devotion this morning. Alex talked about the light and being children of light and what all that means. So Paul talks a little bit about what the light does. We see verse 9, the fruit of the Spirit is associated with the light. And verse 10, we're proving what is acceptable to God, finding out what God's will is. What does God want? Seek to know it. Find that. And follow that path. That's the path of light. And again, verse 11, have no fellowship with those works of darkness. We're not associated with that. We rather reprove, call them out. And walking in the light is going to expose the works of darkness. It shows it for what it really is. And we see that brought out in verses 12 and 13. The light makes manifest, make things known. When you turn the lights on, you see things for what they really are. And those works of darkness are, are shameful. Verse 12, it's a shame to even speak of those things. It's something to avoid. And then verse 14, he gives a quote from, from the Old Testament. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. The source of that light is Jesus. And my mind goes to the verse in 2 Corinthians 4. I think Alex referenced that this morning. Um, talking about how God has shined his light into our hearts. And if I paraphrase a little bit, uh, front and center of that light is Jesus. His example, uh, his teachings, that's the standard by which we prove or find out what is acceptable to God. And then this brings us to verse 15, which is what I want to focus on. See then, or in light of all of this, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What does it mean to walk circumspectly, to walk wisely? And it's all connected with walking in the light. It's the, the context that we're in, walking in the light, walking wisely, circumspectly. We don't want to live like the fool. It says, not as fools. How does a fool live? Carelessly? Not paying attention? Maybe just charging ahead? Running into something without seeing what, what's all there? That's not how we're to live. Not as fools, but as wise. We're children of light, and we have a different calling. We're to walk circumspectly to redeem the time don't be unwise but understand what God's will is that means paying careful attention to where we're walking where we're stepping how we're living and that's that's the the focus that I have and I want to apply that to technology So shifting gears a little bit, there's a concept called informed consent. 
You may have heard that before. It's something that's used in the medical field when they're coming up with a treatment plan uh, for somebody, informed consent. And also with, with research, uh, when you're researching something, you have an experiment, you want to see how things work, and you have a, a person involved in the experiment, uh, you, people run into that with, with research, informed consent, because in the past, this was not always done very well. And there were some experiments that were done in, in our country that it was, it was uh, really mishandled. And, and very deceitful, the things that, that happened. They were constructed in a way where nobody would willingly participate. So they had to fudge things and, you know, uh, mislead or, or intentionally lie to people to, to get their participants. And this became the basis for what we now call informed consent. So whenever somebody agrees to a treatment, in, in uh, the medical field or, or in a research experiment. If you sign up for, for research, you, you have to go through this informed consent. The group that's sponsoring this, this study or treatment is required to clearly lay out what they're gonna do, what all the risks are, just be upfront. And this basically, this is what you're getting into. And I remember when I was treated for cancer, they went through this uh, informed consent part, right, had to sit down with the doctor, and he had a stack of papers there, these are all the drugs that we're going to give you, and potential side effects are this and this and this, and I don't think he could just give me the papers and have me read them, I think he had to actually say, because he, he told me all these side effects, and it's a big long list, and I, I think he... So my hesitation maybe a little bit, and he said, well, all these drugs are safe. We've been using them for many years. He's trying to reassure me. Uh, but that's, that's what he had to do. He had to tell me what I'm getting into. And that was informed consent. I signed my name to agree to the treatment. Informed consent. And I, I think equally important is this idea of informed consent when it comes to the decisions that we make regarding technology, the things that we choose to incorporate into our lives. I think so many times people just don't know. And if you don't know, you can't make a good decision. So how do we make those decisions? What factors are we considering? I think so often all we hear is the music from the flute. Look at what this is going to do. Look at how much better, whatever it might be. But we miss the fine print, as they say. We, we don't always check all the factors. We don't see where it might be leading us, how it might be changing us. And as we think about walking circumspectly in this area of technology, it means taking careful consideration of what this might do to walk or live our life, not as a foolish person, just charging ahead, but as a wise person, being careful, looking around as we take our steps. And I think along with that, it means being informed.
because we have to know if we want to make a good decision. So what are the risks? We live in an age where it has become well documented what can and does happen. The risks and losses that come from the digital age that we live in, you could say, the era of Instagram and TikTok, whatever else there might be. And it's the world that we live in. So I think we owe it to ourselves to carefully consider, to know how to navigate this world that we live in. I did a search, simple Google search for dangers of technology. And it's amazing. There is page after page of websites that list out negative impacts of our technological age. There's books written about it. People talking about the effects, what we're, what we're dealing with now because of technology. I think 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we might have had an excuse for not knowing. But I think today there's plenty of evidence that shows genuine reason for concern. And maybe to say, you know what, let's maybe limit this or exclude this over here. Some things that I found interesting as, as I listen to different people talk and, and see different things. Um, did you know that Steve Jobs did not let his children use an iPad? And Steve Jobs, if you don't know, is the co-founder of Apple. And he's developing this product, the iPad, but it didn't go into his house. And the Snapchat of, of C, uh, CEO of Snapchat revealed that he limits his children's screen time to an hour and a half per week. I don't know what those children's ages were, but an hour and a half per week, that's about 13 minutes per day, which really, if you look at the average screen time worldwide, it's a fraction of the average. I remember doing some research and looking into average screen time, if you want to be astonished, go look at average screen time worldwide. It's not just America, it's, it's all over the world. It's in the range of six, seven, eight hours even. It's incredible, the amount of time spent on screens. The CEO of Netflix one time said in an interview that his biggest competition is sleep. People get tired. They don't want to watch movies anymore. That's, that's his biggest competition. People falling asleep. I would like to share one list that I found online from Business Insider. You can go look up the article. Um, it's titled, Nine Subtle Ways Technology is Making Humanity Worse. And this is just one of those many lists that, that I came across. Yeah, they, they go through a couple different things, nine different things. Number one is posture. So sitting in front of a desk, slouched over, doesn't, uh, uh, not, not good for posture. Number two is eyesight. Looking at a screen all the time. There's issues with eyesight people are having from that. And, 
Number three is insomnia. And there again, related to looking at a screen, you can't sleep as well, it messes up your sleep cycle. Number four is it's addictive. And we can see how that is. There's, there's so many addictions associated with technology, social media, and uh, it's just designed to keep you there as long as they can keep you. And it works, looking at the, the screen time statistics. So number four, it's addictive. Number five, sedentary lifestyles. So just people not doing as much. They're sitting behind a, a desk for work. And you know we were made to move. Our bodies are, are designed for movement. And there's, there's uh, some byproducts of, of sedentary lifestyles that, that are related to this. Number six, mental health. And this, I would say that's a big one. Uh, you, you think about all the mental health problems that we have in our world today. How much can be traced back to technology and has been? Number seven, relationship harm. It affects relationships, interactions with others. And it goes along with number eight, difficulty with face-to-face -face interactions. People don't know how to talk to each other anymore. There's, there's a, you just wanna get behind a screen, rather text and, and do digital communication. And number nine is less self-sufficient due to instant information. Because all the information we need is just a couple keystrokes away less self-sufficient. We don't have, I don't know, the basics of common sense anymore, maybe. And I'll add that this, is, this, this list is from a secular viewpoint. These are issues that other people in the world have pointed out. It's not even considering the potential spiritual impacts. And I would look right to the question of discipleship. Who is discipling us? And the question of discipleship is basically asking, what is shaping my life? Is my life being shaped by the word and by Jesus, the light of Jesus? Am I walking and following that path of light? Understanding what God's will is? Or or our devices may be pulling us away from that. What do we spend time listening to or watching? Who are we becoming like? There's this whole thing of, of uh, YouTube influencers. They give you opinions and how they see life. And there's many of those around. What, what's shaping our life? Our world is willing and ready to disciple us. And it has far-reaching influence. And it has many disciples. But we are children of light. And I say any influence that takes us away from Jesus and walking in the light needs to be dealt with. That is from the devil. We need to 
seriously consider what might be taking us away from that path of light. So I have a couple practical points. Um, things to think about to help us navigate, to think wisely. And there could be more. Uh, I have six that I wrote down. And maybe you, you could think of more. We can talk about those after the service. There's, there's so much to say about this. I, like I said at the beginning, I, I can't do it justice. But six things that I, I have, uh, practical points to help us. Number one, ask the right questions. I think many times we ask the wrong questions. And the question is asked, what's wrong with that? And sometimes it's asked with incredulity. Like, you, you really think there's a problem with this? Like, come on. Where does the Bible say that's wrong? Where's, where's the verse about that? And something, it'd be nice to have a Bible verse for every question. Well, here it says it right here. Thou shalt not own a smartphone, have a Facebook account, whatever. But, but we don't. Um, but I think that's the wrong question to ask. Instead, we should be asking questions like, how is this going to change me? And what am I going to lose by doing this or getting this? I don't know if any of you have read the book Surviving the Tech Tsunami by Gary Miller. I remember reading that a couple years ago. And I'll just say it's an excellent resource. And he tackles this very question here of technology and, and likens it to a tsunami, just this huge, all-encompassing wave that's just hitting us and, and we get lost in it. How do we think right about technology? And the main point that stood out to me from that book, it's been a couple years, I don't remember everything he said, but any time that we're faced with a question about technology, what do we adopt? Should I, should I get this or not? Just simply to ask the question, what would I lose by doing this? Or maybe what would change? How could this change me? And you know, we can look at decisions that others have made and see where it led other people. It's easy to see what we're gonna gain because that's in the advertising. That's in the big bold letters. But every time you gain one thing, you lose another. How often do we take time to consider what we might be losing? And that's part of walking circumspectly to carefully consider, what am I getting myself into? Asking the right questions, taking into consideration what might change and where is this, where is this gonna take me? And I had to think, you know, generations ago, one or two, two generations maybe, our people took a stand against TV and they considered what was going to be lost. And we looked at the family time and the time in, in general that you're losing, watching his TV, why would you, why would you want to do that? And even, even more the outside influence that's going to come right inside the home. And they said, no, we don't want to do that. And, and it was easy enough at that point to make a, a hard line, we're not going to have TV. And I think each one of us would look at that decision 
and say it was the right one. I think we still hold to that today for the most part. We don't have TVs, but the issues have grown so much more complex. Things like the internet is now anymore TV is, is right on your phone, whatever, whatever you want. We have this outside influence coming in. It's like Gary Miller described, it's just a tsunami. How do we navigate? How do we make these decisions? We get lost in all these questions. And the difficulty comes because there are so many legitimate things that we can do. We can do good things. There are, there are a lot of good things that we can do with, with the internet, with smartphones and all that. But how do we deal with the other things that come along with it? We need wisdom. And we need to ask the right questions. So number two, don't neglect relationships. We as humans are wired for relationships. We're, we're social people and not social media. That's, that's a substitute. It's not the real thing. It's an it's um, imitation. But relationships are damaged. And this is one that even the secular sources are pointing out. And I think we as Christians should be paying attention. It's true. Our relationships are being affected. How often do our phones get in the way of real life relationships? And it's people that are right next to us. And oftentimes it's family. And it's something that you see so often. And I, I've been in restaurants many times, and you probably have seen it too. You walk into a restaurant, there's a family out to eat. And everybody is on their phones. I've seen it multiple times, and it's just so sad. Mom, dad, children, all on their phones. That the relationship harm that's done. So think about the way that we use our devices. Don't let it get in the way of relationships. It's very important. Number three, beware of wasted time. And this is a danger that we can easily recognize, maybe from experience. It's far too easy to waste time on our phones. Doing meaningless things, really. YouTube, Social media, don't get me wrong, there's, there's, there's some good things, positives, but I'd say for the most part, the time wasted could be better spent other places. There, there's no end to a Facebook feed. You just keep going and going and going, it never ends. And there's actually a, a word for that when you keep scrolling, it's called doom scrolling. You're just going over and over, it never ends. And YouTube has algorithms that recommend other videos and they're pretty good at knowing what you might want to watch next. How about this one? And it's intentional. It's designed to keep you on as long as they can. That's, that's their business. That's what they do. But our time is valuable. We look at verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. The redeeming the time there has the idea of making the most of opportunities. And we can't properly redeem and make the most of our time if we're wasting it. 
So are we being good stewards of our time? Number four, be wise online. The internet is not a safe place. And I think it's worth repeating, the internet is not a safe place. First of all, it's a gateway to all kinds of those things that Paul mentions at the beginning of the chapter, the works of the flesh. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, it's all there and it's plentiful on the internet. And if we're not careful, we can easily find ourselves in a snare. And many people have found themselves trapped. Pornography is a vice that is so hard to break free from. And it's so real. What can happen? I'm reminded of a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He said, there are many ways to fall down, but there's only one way to stand up straight. There's so many ways that we can find to fall, to stumble. And the internet, there's, there's plenty of opportunities for that. But, you know, in falling, the consequences are, are all the same. You fall down. There's only one way to stand up straight. Also, there's no truth filter for the internet. How do you know what's true? There's a lot of false information on the internet. And that's not to mention the predators as well. There are many predators on the internet. People who are seeking to extort and to blackmail, to scam. There's many different ways that it happens. So many schemes that people have. And really it's to the end that some people have been driven to suicide after making a really rash decision. They weren't careful. They fell. And it, it drove them to take their own life. The internet's not a safe place. And this is where things like filters and accountability can help us. What do you have set up to help you navigate wisely online? Some time ago, there was a, a couple months ago, there was an article on accountability in the Keystone Messenger by Nolan Martin. I don't know if you remember reading that, and I would refer you to that for a really good discussion about accountability and, and the need for that. It's an aid in helping us navigate wisely online. There's so much that, that can trip us up. Number five, be okay with being different. Sometimes a wise decision means not doing something that everybody else is doing. At least it might seem like that to us. Because we like to blend in, it's human nature. We don't wanna be the only one not doing something or not having something. This peer pressure is real and strong. But sometimes we are better off that way. There's a story that I came across a couple months ago, and it actually happened earlier this year. I think it was back in April in Michigan. There was a seventh grader named Dylan Reeves, and he was riding home on the school bus the one day, and he noticed the bus driver was having some kind of medical emergency, and the bus was starting to veer off the road and 
immediately, he jumped up, went to the front, grabbed the steering wheel, guided the bus off the road, and he called to the back for somebody to call 911. And, and really, he was a hero. He saved the school bus. And I was looking at the, the news coverage of it, they had a video, and the, the question that they asked is, why did nobody else see what was going on? So they're asking these other students that were on the bus, well, why, why didn't you see? And every single one had the same answer. And you can probably guess, they were all looking at their phones and playing games, looking down, they weren't paying attention. And Dylan, his parents, did not allow him to have a phone. And he didn't have that uh, attraction to look at his phone, but he was paying attention to what's going on around him. And therefore, he was the only one who saw. And I found it interesting. The interviewer asked him, so you can see why there's maybe a good reason that you didn't have a phone, right? And this young man was just not convinced. He said, uh, my parents are really old school. And he, he really, you could tell he was chafing at being the only one, even though it was, it was helpful for that time. So be okay with being different. Number six, there's room for variation. We don't all have to come out in the same spot. I heard the phrase before, cookie cutter Christians. You know, it's, we're not cookie cutter Christians. We don't all look exactly the same. We don't all have exactly the same standards. And there's room for variation to a certain extent. There's definitely parameters that we need to stay in. We need to stay on that path of light and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But we owe it to ourselves to be informed. And sometimes it's hard to know, and you can't always know, but carefully consider and evaluate and understand that other people might draw different lines, but that doesn't mean that we have to change our lines or our standards. So in the end, I almost feel like I'm leaving more questions that I'm answering because I don't have all the answers. But I truly believe that this is an area that we need wisdom. It is so crucial to walk circumspectly in our day and age. The days are evil, like it says. Let's not be caught following the allure of all these nice sounding things around us without paying attention to where we're going, how this is shaping us, what we're getting ourselves into. And we can help each other make these decisions. And I think that's the beauty of the church, where we can come alongside each other and help think through these difficult questions. There's so many questions. And we can help each other walk in wisdom. We live in an age where there's so many opinions and so many perspectives about what to do. And I think the big question behind all these other questions is how do we truly live as children of light? Are we following that path of light? Has the light of God shined in our hearts? 
And I think if we get that right, if we have that light shining in our hearts, we have a good foundation to work from. That's my encouragement to walk in the light and to walk carefully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the directives that you have given to us. And we know that life can be difficult to understand and there's so many questions that we wrestle through. But I pray that you would shine your light into each one of our hearts. And I pray that we could truly walk as children of light in our day and age. And as we wrestle through these other questions, I pray that we could walk circumspectly, that we could seek out your will. And I pray for your blessing on each one here as we strive to do that in the days ahead. Would you grant us your wisdom and your mercy for each day? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.